The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. We'll be going over Luke chapter 9, verses 27 to 45, on page 867. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were walking, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This is the word of God. So uh, would you agree that sometimes it can be very difficult to follow Jesus? It's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It can be really hard to have your mind and your heart and your life match up with what you already know about him. And that's my big thing. I, I know so much, but how much do I really match up with what I know and who I am and how I feel and how I think? So I'm, I'm really thinking about everyone here. I'm thinking about the near Christian person. So here's what I mean by near Christian. They have like some true ideas about Jesus in their brains, but they haven't hit the tipping point of loving him, wanting him, living for him, committing to him. So wh why? why? I mean, how is it that you can say, oh, he's the son of God who died for sins, and then practically be like, and I don't care? <laughs> um, what, what changes it? I'm, not, I'm, I'm thinking about the near Christian. I'm also thinking about the committed Christian. Don't we have times and seasons of uh, there seems to be no joy in this? It feels like powerlessness. 
confusion, doubt, discouragement, emptiness. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to live in line with what we believe about Jesus. And so as I was looking at this text, I was thinking of this question, what is it that, that, that tipping point that moves us where we should be? And I think the answer in this text is we need to see him. You need to see him. Let me show you one verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Paul's talking about the church. He says, and we all with unveiled face, what's that next word? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So this is a Christian's transfiguration. You're getting changed. What is it that's changing you, Paul's saying? And we all with unveiled face, what was the next word? Beholding. So the way you get changed, the way you're different is to what? It's to see, to really, truly see. Now somebody might say, well, how do I do that? It's not like, it's not like Jesus is walking around. Well, this, uh, thank you for asking that, by the way. Uh, we get to consider this massive event in Jesus' life this morning that we call the transfiguration. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. Huge deal. And in this moment, the disciples, three disciples, are going to physically see some of the glory of Jesus. Physically see it. But we ask, you know, what is this about? It's very interesting to me, hopefully it'll make sense for you, that when Matthew, Mark, and Luke show us the transfiguration, they also combine it with the two episodes that come afterwards. All the gospel writers have these things in a row. So just back up with me, what's going on? So we get this transfiguration moment where three of the disciples go on the mountain with Jesus and they see his glory. And yet we're gonna see that they see but they don't see, if you know what I'm saying. They know but they don't know. Then they come down the mountain and there's this horrible account of this kid who's just over, overtaken by a demon. And do you remember what the disciples were able to do about it? Nothing. They had already been given power to do this thing and now they can't do it. Why? Why? And then the third thing is Jesus' little power punch sermon. What does he say? Let this land in your ears or something like this. Yo, listen, listen. And so you put these things together and you get the importance of seeing who Jesus is. What happens when we're not looking in that second episode? And third, the way to really see. Seeing who Jesus is. What happens when we're not seeing? And then the way to truly see. Let me just give a, a little bit of background. Last week we looked at these questions. Luke, is, Luke wants to drag his audience to, to ante up with these questions. Who is Jesus? How do I respond to him? Jesus himself gathered his disciples and says, who does everybody say that I am? Do you remember what the answer was? He's a prophet. No. He says, who do the crowd say that I am? And then he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And so, so Jesus, 
Jesus wants to take every one of us, Luke, with his book, wants to take every one of us, kind of hold us by the shoulder and say, who do you say Jesus is? And then, he, and then if you give the right answer, he's going to be like, okay, now how should you respond to somebody like that? If that's really who he is, what does that mean? And we looked at what happens to what, what real, um, the accurate way to responding to Jesus looks like, right? We saw that. And at the end of that, I want to show you Luke 29, 26 to 27, because that gets us right into our passage today. Luke 9, 26 to 27. Jesus gives these very serious words. He says, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Wow, so that, that's a warning, right? If you live consistently in a way to where even if you know right answers of Jesus, but he's really not who you fear or who you value, you value something else. And when Jesus and his teaching doesn't meet with that thing you really value, you'll be like, okay, enough of you, Jesus. That would be ashamed, ashamed of him and his teaching. And Jesus says, if, you're, if that defines you, if you're consistently ashamed of me, when you hit the last day, right? Jesus talks about this last day. When I come in glory, I'll be ashamed of you. This is one of the scariest lines in the Bible, right? Wake up, you don't want this to be you. What's so interesting is look at the first word in verse 27. So some, some people are gonna be ashamed of Jesus and his teaching. But look at verse 27. What's the first word? But, so that's contrary, but. Some people are gonna be ashamed of me, but. And then he says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see. The way to not be ashamed of Jesus and his teaching, this is the big idea, is to see. It's to see. So we're gonna look at these three episodes, seeing who Jesus is, and then seeing how the disciples see but don't see quite yet. Seeing what happens when you don't see. That's that second episode with the kid and the demon. And then finally, how to really see. So let's go. You tracking with me? I hope so. We're going to look at 28 to 31 first. Jesus takes his disciples up on a mountain to pray. Luke is always showing us how Jesus is constantly praying. And here he gets exposed. And in verse 29, it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And the Greek emphasis there is just like, it was totally different. I can't explain to you how different this was. Uh, shockingly different. You're seeing something. And then in verse 29, it talks about his clothing. His clothing became dazzling white. And I gotta be honest, I struggled with this text because I imagined like a, a TV preacher in his white three-piece suit, you know? Because anybody who only wears white suits all the time, I don't trust them. Okay? So Jesus, you know, was he wearing a brown robe? And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the Super Bowl commercials, Tide cleans, right? It's not it. The word here is to send forth lightning. To send forth lightning. To flash out lightning. To shine, to be radiant. You ever seen something so beautiful, you take a picture of it, and then you like run to your friend, and you're like, look! And then you look at the picture, and you're like, sort of. It didn't quite get the point across. It was like that, but so much better. Okay, you're gonna have to give that to Luke right here. He's glowing like a lightning storm. 
He looks so different. And in verse 32, Luke, the veils are off. You're seeing what he really is, who he really is. What an overwhelming experience that must have been. But what does it mean? Now, if you, if you know your Bible, let me give you some clues, see what you think of. There's a mountain where God took people to meet him. There's a mysterious cloud of God's glory. Lightning striking. Moses is there. And they're talking about Jesus' departure, and the Greek word for that is exodus. Anything coming to your mind? Okay. You remember when God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt, right? He brought them to the mountain to meet with him. Moses led them there. It's the exodus. The law was given. Wow. You know, Luke's been giving us this over and over and over again. When the disciples were in the boat, and, and they think they're all going to die. And this is, so this is no just little teeny storm. It's a huge storm. They're fishermen. They think they're all going to die. And Jesus wakes, from, wakes up from a nap and rebukes the storm. You know, stop. And the storm stops. And the disciples say, who is this? Who is this? And you're getting the answer on the transfiguration. Okay. Do you remember when Moses was up on the mountain? He comes down off the mountain. Do you remember what was up with his face? It was glowing with the glory of God, but it was a reflective glory like, like the moon, right? The moon just reflects the light of the sun. Moses was reflecting the light of the glory of God. And over time, what happens to Moses' face? The light fades. Do you realize what's happening on this mountain? In Jesus, the glory is not coming down from above, it's not shining, reflecting an outside source. The reason his clothes look like a lightning storm is because the glory of God is within. He's God. He is the God of the Exodus. So powerful. I love what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Listen to this. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. That's what you're seeing on the transfiguration. The exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm, I'm the last thing from a scientist, but occasionally I read a book that'll tell me like the fine tuning of the universe, size of stars, distances, galaxies, gravity, and you just, wow, right? Wow, and the more and more scientists learn, the more even atheists go, wow. And if you're taking this seriously, do you know who it is that's upholding that every moment? It's Jesus by his word, which means your heart is beating right now because Jesus is telling your heart to beat. How do you respond to a person like that? 
How do you respond to a person like that? I was reminded of this quote from N.T. Wright, a teacher, Bible scholar. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. You see what you can't do with Jesus here? You can't do with, he's a good teacher, I'll listen to him every once in a while when I get around to it. He can't be that. That's not him. He's either God who is lightning when you see his glory, who upholds you by the word of his power. It means everything changes. It's all about him. Or this whole thing is a lie and look somewhere else. So Luke is pulling us in who Jesus is. I think Peter's response is so amusing, interesting, convicting. Look at verse 33. As the men were parting from him, by the way, that's Elijah and Moses, right? As the, as the men were parting from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents. <laughs> one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, I love this because Peter will be uh, the great leader of the Gospels, uh, full exposure on what an idiot he was. Okay? So good little proof that the gospels aren't lying to you. Most religions don't work that way when they're making stuff up. Their leaders have to look really good. In Christianity, there's only one leader who looks really good. That's the one who glows like lightning. So Peter, he, he doesn't know what he's saying. The other gospels show you this as well. But I, I want you to see what Peter sees and what he doesn't see. Okay? Peter has something that you and I won't get until the end of the world or until we die. Peter is seeing with his eyeballs the physical manifestation of the glory of Jesus. He's seeing it. You know, it tells us the disciples fell asleep because Jesus was praying, right? <laughs> we can relate. Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed, and he was like a marathon runner none of us could keep up with. You know, I'd be like, let's pray, Jesus, and we'd be going in 15 minutes. Oh, this is great. 30 minutes, I'm rocking, an hour. Woo, never prayed this long. And before you know it, you're just like Peter and the other disciples. You're sleeping. And then you wake up to Jesus looking like lightning. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Now, I imagine it like this. We know what they were talking about. Talking about Jesus' exodus. And we know who it is that's talking. I don't think they wore name tags, you know, like heavenly. Hi, I'm Moses, you know. No, they know who they were because of what they were talking about. And so here's Peter. I mean, talking about blowing you away. Moses and Elijah. Wonderful glimpses of like heavenly realities because they're still who they are, if you know what I'm saying. Moses is still Moses. Thinks like Moses Feels like Moses is Moses, with God, happy. Elijah, he's still Elijah. You're gonna be who you are, knowable. You're gonna have a memory. You're gonna have anticipation. It's just this great glimpse of post-death reality. They, they're still around. They are who they are. They're, they're with the Lord. They're talking about what Jesus is gonna do. 
And, and so Peter's seeing this, and he's, you know, you're waking up and, ah, Jesus is glowing, and there's Moses and Elijah talking. I don't know what to do, but, but look at what he says. You know, way back when Jesus was like, what do the crowd say that I, that I am? Well, you're, you know, a resurrected prophet or something like that. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? It's Peter who answers. Do you remember? It's Peter who answers. And what does Peter say? You're the Christ. So he, there's a way for sure that he knows. But then he sees Jesus glowing, and well, now it's Moses and Elijah, and he wants to make three tents. And here's what I think is happening. He's saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are truly one of the greats. You are truly one of the greats. You're right up there with Moses and Elijah. And then uh, in every account in the Gospels in this moment, God interrupts Peter. Okay, this is the ultimate, shut up. <laughs> and he interrupts, Jesus, he interrupts Peter with that same glory presence that can only be described like a cloud when everybody sees it, feels it, you're on your face, you're terrified. It says in the text here that glory came and everybody was afraid. So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you're one of the greats and <laughs> I'll stop talking now. But look what comes out of the cloud. The cloud makes things clear. This is the presence of God, the presence of God, and this is the voice of God the Father. And what does the Father say? Verse 35. Peter just said, Jesus, you're one of the greats. And the Father, just be quiet, and says, This is my son, the chosen one. He's not one of the greats. He is the great one. He's not one of the prophets. He's the one the prophets want to be with and talk about and worship. He's the son of God. And then verse 35, what do you say? This is my son, my chosen one. And what's the next word? Listen to him. Friends, do you see this? Peter saw with his eyeballs, but he didn't yet fully see. And then the father says, the way to really see, it's not with your eyes. It's through your ears. Listen, and you will see. Listen, and you will see. Have you heard that before? Romans ten seventeen. what does Paul say there? So faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is our second sight. It's how we see the way things really are. And it's more than just ideas in our minds. It's our heart latching on to the truth of what God has said. He's defining reality. And when we believe it, we see it. And we know it's true. So the first thing, what are you supposed to see about Jesus? Is he one of the greats, everybody? That's, the rest of the world is happy to say that. Oh, he's one of the greats. Come on. The glory of God is like, no, shut up. That's no. Who is he? He is the son of God. He is fully divine. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you saw, he's lightning. He's glorious. That's who he is. But do we see? Hmm. Then you get to this next scene, okay? Verse 37. Or, you know, at the end of the moment, Jesus, you know, comes back down to 
what they're used to. <laughs> and they don't even talk about it to anybody because I'm not sure they know what to do with it. And they come back down and, oh, what a, talk about going from the heights in a great moment to a hard moment. 37, they come back down from the mountain. A great crowd meets him. And you know what? You get this hopeless moment. It's, it's just hopeless. Verse 38, behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I what? I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child, and he's just ravaged by a demon. Read, read Matthew and Mark, and you see more. This demon totally controls this kid, throws him in fires. Okay, how many fires are there going on in the ancient world between cooking, warming yourself? It's always throwing him in fires. It's just destroying this child. And it's this man's only child. He loves this child, and he's absolutely helpless and hopeless to do anything for his child. He's watching his child just be destroyed. And so he comes to Jesus, and he begs him, please, look at my son. He's my only child. Hopeless situation, hopeless kid, hopeless father. Verse 40 Hopeless disciples. Look at verse 40. I begged your disciples to cast it out. They couldn't. Now, if you, know, if you came to me with something like that, and was like, I tried to get Matt to cast it out. He couldn't. I might be something like, what did you expect? <laughs> it might be a little different here. What did Jesus give his apostles at the beginning of this chapter? Power to cast out demons. And they did it for a while. So what's going on? Why can't they do it now? Why aren't they living the way he's called them to live? Why aren't you living the way he's called you to live with the power that he's given you? Why? Look what Jesus says, verse 41. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? It's one of these moments where you see a little frustration in Jesus. Uh, is, he talking, is he doing the thing where he, he's ramming the Pharisees here and false teachers? And that's not who he's talking to. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. That he, that he loves. He's not giving up on them. He loves them, but he's talking to his disciples. But what does he say? You're faithless. Okay, remember back in the story on the boat, uh, Luke 8, 24. They, when they went and they woke him, right? They're, on the they're in the boat in the storm. Master, master, we're perishing. And he awakes and rebukes the wind and the, and the waves. What does Jesus say to him in verse 25? Where is your Faith, what does it mean? How long until you see what I'm showing you? How long until you really see? You should see more than you see right now. Or you've forgotten things that you've seen before. Where's your faith? Your, what's the difference between faith and spiritual sight? There isn't a difference. It's the same C.S. Lewis gives this uh, illustration. I think I'm using it differently, but it, I, I really like the illustration. So if you walked into like a, a barn, they have those, those some places. Anybody ever seen an old barn before? Okay. You go inside, most of it's in shadow. 
Maybe there's a crack in the planks in the roof. If we don't fix the roof soon here, I won't even need to give an illustration. It'll just... Um, there's a crack in the, in the roof and the light shining through into the darkness. Now, in one way, you could stand there in the darkness and look at the beam of light. You could look at it. And in that way, that's like what it's looked like to look at the claims of the Bible. Hmm. Or you could go stand under the light and look through it. And what would you see? Blue sky. That's faith in God's word, looking through his word to see the person of Jesus' beauty. And Jesus says, you see, but you don't see. Why are they not able to live the way he's called them to live? Why are they struggling to live according to what they already know? They're not seeing. They're not seeing. Is that true for you? Is that true for you? When your eyes are on Jesus, when you're trusting his word, when you're fellowshipping in church, when you're seeking, when you're praying, when you're moving, don't you see more? Don't you feel more? Don't you live more and want to live it out? And then when you, you look away and you sleep in a couple times and you miss a couple times and you get distracted and you start putting your values on other things, I don't even know this is true anymore. I feel so, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't have any joy in this. I don't have any peace. And, you, and Why? Why is it stress? I couldn't cast it out. Why? You're not seeing. When we're not living it out, it's because we're not seeing what we should see. Here's what I love about Jesus, is even though his disciples are an utter failure here, right? It's kind of embarrassing. Jesus sent out his disciples, hey, go heal, go do all this. The crowds are watching, and now what are the crowds seeing about Jesus' disciples? They can't do it. I'm not sure how much they believe. Doesn't the world look at us like that sometimes? <laughs> really? You believe all this? You see all this? You have all this? Why do you act like that? I love that even when the disciples aren't seeing and aren't living out quite what he wants them to be, Jesus is still majestic. Look at him. Jesus says, bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Even when the church looks bad, Jesus is still beautiful. And God is still majestic. And he's still just right around the corner again for us to look at. Open your eyes, he's still there. He still loves you. He's still beautiful. He's still done what he's done. Look again. Listen again. See. In Mark, Mark includes Jesus' conversation with the Father. I want to show you Mark 9.21. The Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Don't you like that? If. And what's Jesus' response in verse 23? And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, what does he say? I believe, help my unbelief. That needs to be me. That needs to be you. 
I believe, show me more. Let me see more. Let me, let me really plug in with what I know. Let me taste again what I have. Let me see more. I believe, help my unbelief. Now we're ready for part three. So number one, seeing Jesus, who is he? He's, he's the glorious son of God, right? He's the son of God. Uh, number two, when we're not living accordingly with who Jesus is, it's because we're not seeing. And we need to see again. We need to see. We need to put our faith in him and his word. How do we see? How do we see? Let's look at this last section. At the end of verse 43, Jesus says, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Now, why do you talk like that? Trying to get their attention, right? Listen, this is serious. Pay attention. Hear this. Hear this. And it's really the conclusion to this episode. And then what is it that they need to see that they don't see? I'm going to die on a cross. Listen to this. I'm going to die on a cross. And again, all the gospels show you they didn't get it. It was concealed from them. They didn't perceive it. They were afraid to ask him more. They didn't want anything to do with this subject. They could not handle this idea. Um, it's still, uh, for the Jewish religion, the idea of the, the glorious Messiah being slandered and cursed and hung on a tree is, is unthinkable. They just, it couldn't penetrate into their assumptions that they already had. They could not believe it. And yet Jesus ends this with, let this sink into your ears. I'm gonna die on a cross. Hey, let me just back up. Do you remember what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were chatting about? Do you remember what it was? He said his departure and then if you look at, there's probably a little footnote in your Bible. And that word says, Exodus. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his exodus. And then maybe everything starts coming together. The people had to kill a Passover lamb to get out from under God's wrath. Who's the Passover lamb that gets you out from under God's wrath? It's Jesus. The people had to pass through the sea. All the Egyptian army that went in there was crushed under the waves of God's judgment. Who was going to hang on a cross and be crushed under the waves of God's judgment so that you and I can pass through safely? It's Jesus. It's the cross of the Son of God that delivers us from slavery, the slavery of not being able to see. This is the exodus. This is the salvation, the deliverance to be able to see Jesus. Why, why was it Moses and Elijah chatting? Moses represents the law, the very law of God. Jesus is the one who fulfills the law through his life, death, and resurrection. Elijah represents all the prophets, all the word of God, everything God is doing in history. Who is the ultimate culmination of all of this? It's Jesus. He's the one. He's the one, and he's going 
to a cross. And Luke will show you, as we keep reading, when do the disciples finally get it? After he dies and rises again. Now we see. Now we see. And the same is true for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. How does the word, the, the idea that Jesus died on a cross for sins look to people who just don't believe, don't wanna believe? How does it look? It looks stupid. But to us who are being saved, what is it? It's power and it's the word of the cross that is power. The word of the cross is power. The message of the cross. Remember when the fathers, they saw physically the glory of Jesus and they still didn't get it. And then when the, the presence of the father came, he said, this is my son. And what was the next word? Listen to him. Listen to him. Let it sink into you. Believe the words. The word of the cross is power. So when I tell you that the Son of God came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life pleasing to a holy God for you, for your sake, and he died on a cross for sins, and there, if you'll repent and trust Jesus, all of your sins have been washed away, and God has done all of his justice on Christ instead of you so that if you'll trust him, you're forgiven totally forgiven of all your sins and you're adopted and you're brought into his family and you're his and you're given his spirit and a new life and a new vision and a new sight to see Jesus. When I tell you that word, if it's true to the scriptures and you believe it, you don't just look at the beam of light, you walk into it, you look through and say, Jesus, that's you, really, for me, I want you. It's power. It'll save you. It has saved you. It'll change you. Look at verse 23. I love this phrase. We preach and a stumbling block to Jews, folly the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You have God's power and God's wisdom as you trust the preaching of Christ crucified. You see Paul keeps going. Look at verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. This is a backhanded compliment, okay? Corinthians, you're kind of dumb and not cool. How many of you, you uh, no? Some of you are pretty cool. Still called. So, you guys, what are we? We're, I'm, I'm nothing. What am I? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. God did not come to us to save us because he was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> Gotta have you. This is not like God pitching, picking a dodgeball team in junior high where he's like, I want the biggest guy who throws the hardest, okay? That's not what this is. He's choosing those who are totally undeserving, totally unworthy, nothing to claim before him. And he comes and says, I want you, God chooses what is foolish in the world. So if you're sitting here going, why would the son of God who glows like lightning want me? Paul is telling you, you're exactly the kind of person he wants. 
the, the, the one with nothing to offer. He wants you. Consider your calling. And Paul wants you to think of this. Consider it that God chose you. Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. United to the one on the mountain, the one on the cross. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what do we have now? Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Everything we need. Everything we need. Verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. When you see Jesus and who he is and what he's done, he will be your boast. That's what we do on Sunday mornings, right? That's why we're singing these songs. We're all going, the ones of us who are, you don't have to lift your hands, but you are welcome to. The ones who are going like this, maybe you're just doing it in your heart. That's totally fine. Jesus, you're my boast. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm here with these people. These people, we all say it, Jesus, you're my boast. Compare that with, back with the words when Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them on the last day. That's when something else other than Jesus is your boast. But when you see, you're like, all that other stuff? Yeah. When you see who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross, and, and, he, and you see that it's for you, You've considered your calling. He loves you. He's chosen you. He died for you. He's adopted you. He's brought you in. When you see that, he's your new boast. You're not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed of him. He's, he's everything. He's the beauty. He's the truth. I'm not ashamed. And now we're being changed. Remember, how do you get changed? How do you get transformed from glory to glory? You see. You behold. So folks, what should we pursue? Let's build up one another in the faith. And that sounds so churchy. What are we trying to say? Help me see. I want to help you see the beauty of Jesus. I want to walk in that ray of light with you and look through it. Number two. If you want to see more, what was Jesus doing on the mountain when all of a sudden he's praying? Jesus is always praying. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for you. What should we do if we want to see? Pray. Pray to see. What should we do if we want others to see? Pray. Come pray with us Thursday night. Pray that we'll see, that they'll see. And let's do it together. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.